everybody here. Uh, it's, uh, we're going through our series through the book of Colossians. We'll be here for about four more weeks, uh, including this one, so three more after this. I know it's only four chapters, and we're going to about ten, I think, ten weeks total, uh, which is kind of long for four chapters. But uh, just imagine if I actually got into, like, the book of Mark or something, or Luke, and uh, imagine how long we'll be in there. We'll probably be, like, two years for just one of those books. There's about 20-something chapters in there. But uh, luckily, we're not doing that. We're, we're going to stay in this for about 10 weeks and uh, continuing through. And uh, we, we, uh, uh, we're on week six this week. And, uh, and we've, we've touched on some, quite a bit of stuff. We've, we've gotten really some, some deep theology in there. We got some uh, about uh, the importance of us uh, looking at the supremacy of Christ and the importance of us not to be, like last week, we talked about not being, uh, following the world's uh, wisdom. And this week, we're going on to, we're going to continue that into chapter, or chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Now, as I was uh, preparing this, and as I was looking around different things, one of the things I searched for was this idea, or this, this I was looking around the internet looking for really dumb laws. So I was, I have found all kinds of different websites, but I, but I, you know, as a researcher, as somebody, I, I don't want to just randomly pick something off a website because you know I know the internet's completely 100% true and I didn't want to you know but I still didn't want to give you something that maybe I couldn't back up so but um, but I did do some research on this one and I found that it is illegal to wrestle bears now I never knew that and so I, I read this and I thought okay there's no way that this is true I did not 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 that it's it's you know it's not a smart thing to do but I didn't know there was an actual law outlawing Wrestling with bears. Can you believe this? You see the picture? There's actually, apparently, down in Alabama, bear wrestling was really popular for many years. And, um, and so it was considered by many to be a entertainment, entertainment and that it was a, a show of, of, you know, macho-ness, you know, uh, machismo, you know, some, some toughness. And, and so they would, people would actually wrestle these bears, and, and they had these, uh, the, the bears were four to 700 pounds, and, and they were trained, and some of them had surgeries and different stuff to, so they could wrestle these people, and apparently it was a big deal out in Alabama. Now, I know uh, that's, that's a little odd to me, because I'm from California, and, I, and, and, and everything in California is odd, but seeing out wrestling bears, I just thought that was crazy, but apparently they would travel around, not only Alabama, but go into Las Vegas and all these different places, and there were some bears like Terrible Ted, Samson, and Victor the Bear. Victor the Bear apparently was this really famous one that a lot of guys were wrestling quite often. In fact, the Alabama Crimson Tide coach, uh, Bear Bryant, got his nickname from wrestling bears. He was around 13 years old, about 6 foot 1, about 180 pounds, and he uh, wrestled a bear. And uh, some people say that he, some people think they did it from a girl to get some money to take a girl out. Uh, that's the rumor. But, uh, but he, he got a dollar for every minute he stayed in the ring. And then uh, apparently the owner of the bear skipped town without paying him. But he got this nickname, Bear Bryant. In 1996, it became illegal to wrestle bears. And uh, it's hard to even talk about this without laughing, because in my mind, I'm sitting here laughing. But uh, it became illegal to wrestle bears in Alabama. See, when I first started looking at this, I thought, okay, this has got to be something like from the 70s or something, some ridiculous thing. But apparently, it was outlawed only in 96. That was not too long ago. Uh, the, the law says that no training a bear, you cannot train a bear to wrestle in Alabama. Uh, no promoting bear wrestling matches in Alabama. 
and it became illegal. Now, in 2015, they abolished a whole bunch of laws, and this was one of them. Now, there's other laws that will prevent people from wrestling bears, but they actually abolished that particular law in April of 2015, which, again, I thought was just silly. But there's so many different laws out there, so many different rules and laws that are just hilarious. Apparently, in Tennessee, there's a law in the book still that say that you can't um, hold office if you're an atheist. Um, another one was in Connecticut, something about, I read something about the, uh, um, you could not deny God in public. And, uh, and or no, yeah, Massachusetts, I'm sorry, it was Massachusetts. You couldn't deny God in public for many years. Um, in, in the 1600s, um, you couldn't celebrate Christmas. There's all kinds of strange laws out there. Now, if you look at, at the, around our country, there's, every state has really ridiculous laws. Some of them are date back for the 1800s, 1700s, and they just have never been really dealt with. Even though nobody practices them, they're still there on the books. And I found it really interesting. I couldn't back up a lot of them, so I, I didn't want to bring too many of them, but I found it interesting that there's so many of them out there. Now, we have rules in, in the church, don't we? Now, some of our, our rules in the church are legitimate rules. But, but if you think about it, we also have some rules that are unwritten rules in church, don't we? Don't, don't we have unwritten rules here? So, so in, again, my, my research, I found a, a small list. There, the list was actually about a dozen rules that are unwritten rules. I picked out four that I personally could relate to, and I thought maybe you could too. And I thought they were pretty good rules. They were interesting. So one of the rules is that if you, if, if we have an unwritten rule that if you don't want to talk to somebody particular in church, you make sure you don't make eye contact. That way, if later on, you say, hey, I was looking for you at service, you can say, oh, man, I didn't see you. I'm so sorry. That's an unwritten rule. And I know a lot of you have done it. Oh, there's the preacher coming to talk to me. He's going to ask me to serve somewhere. Don't make eye contact. All right, uh, how about this one? This one, I know I've caught people, and not in my messages, because this wouldn't work. But... Uh, when you're really tired and you're having a hard time staying awake, you get down into the prayer position and you close your eyes a little bit and you're in deep prayer and you can at least get a good five-minute nap out of that. At least. I'm too loud, so I know you wouldn't do that in my messages, but maybe some other preacher, right? Now, the one thing about that technique, though, is when you're down there, don't go too deep because you're going to have those body jerks. You know, the nods, because you've got to be careful, because then you're, you're going to let out that you're, you're snoring or asleep. Now, this is another one. If, you, if there's children in the service, and we have the kids in there, now, you have, um, and they're being a little disruptive, which, you know, we have all, all of our kids are noisy. They're kids. But, but you have one that's disruptive, and it's right behind you. There's two options you have here. First one is you have a parent right there. Now, the parent sits present. And you have a kid right behind you that's making noise. You turn back and you just smile. And that's it. Now what that does is that acknowledges that you heard them. And the parent receives that message. And shh, quiet down your church. Now if the, pre- if, the, if the kid is not there, I mean the parent's not there, this is what you do. Just look back without a smile. You just look back. My, my favorite is zip it. You just look back at him, you go, zip it. That's all you got to do. And, and you're golden. You're good. Now, my favorite, the best one that I found was this one. What do you do when you're late for church? 
if you're, now there's, this, this gets complicated because if you're late to church and you show up and you hear worship music going on, you're good because you can sneak in, in the music, and nobody will even know you're there. They might think you were in Bible study or going to the bathroom or something, and nobody will even pay attention. Now, what do you do if, if the preacher's already up here? If somebody came in right now, what do you do? You show up, you're like, man, I'm, I'm late. Let's see, is the preacher preaching? Yep, he's preaching. Now, what do you do? You turn around, you go to lunch. And you make sure you meet that crowd. Because you know what's going to happen. You know you're going to come to the door, and every, if somebody walked through that door right now, I wish, I wish somebody would. So, if somebody walked through that door, you know what we're all going to do. You're all going to swivel neck right over and see who that is. So if you're going to be late to church and, and the preacher's already preaching, you know, you know what, I'm, I'm out of here. We're just going to leave. And just think, you can be at lunch and be done with lunch before church is out and you'll beat the crowd and nobody will even know you're there. See, that's the plan. But those are some unwritten rules that we do. We have these crazy rules in church. We do. We, we make them up. We have all these unwritten things, and we laugh about them, and they think they're absurd, and, and, and they're kind of goofy and, and silly, and, and we even make fun of them a little bit. But, but you know what? I tell you what. If we were to write down all the rules and rituals, the unwritten rules and rituals that we have in church, it probably wouldn't be much of a laughing manner, matter. Things like, hey, don't sit in my seat. I sit there every week. Things like that. How dare you move my pillow? You know, if we, if we, if we wrote down these, these lists, we probably wouldn't be laughing too much about them. <laughs> chances, chances we'd stop laughing pretty quickly because most of these religious regulations are not written down anywhere, but most of us either... Uh, attempt to keep them or expect others to do so. Last week we learned about uh, worldly wisdom and how we're not to follow what the world says but follow what Jesus says. And, and we've and we got to be very careful of the worldly philosophies that are out there. And instead of following that, we need to make sure that we have a commitment to Christ every day and go deeper and, and root ourselves in Christ. And, and uh, so our roots will grow and, and, and grow deep and, and uh, give us some stability so when a storm comes, we're, we're able to withstand that storm. However, this growth that we're talking about, if we do that, it can be stunted. Our growth can be stunted with this thing called legalism. And you've probably heard that term. It's a, it's a term that you hear around church a lot. Oh, you're just being legalistic. Oh, that's just a bunch. And then you have the other people saying, oh, you know, uh, you're just too free. You've got to do the rules. And you have this uh, two, two sides of it. You have some people that are very legalistic, and you have other people that are saying, we ha we're fall under grace and we're completely free. So how do we confront that? How do we deal with that? What does Scripture say about that? See, legalism can be defined as a strict adherence to the law. Specifically, as it relates to faith, a legalist is one who believes that performance is the way to gain favor for God. That's what legalism is. The legalist thinks that by doing these things, if I go to church every Sunday, if I do this, I volunteer all these committees, I will earn favor from God. I will, I will have an extra standing. That's why some people go into the pastorate. They think, well, if I can become a pastor and I preach the gospel, guess what? I'm going to have a higher standing than everybody else. And they come into ministry thinking that it's really just about, uh, about being, getting better, being closer to God, which is completely the opposite of what Scripture tells us. 
complete opposite of what Scripture tells us. But people will think that. They'll, they think that there's a, a list of do's and don'ts, and, and they think that this, uh, there's a human attempt to gain salvation or approve our, our spirituality by the things we do. It's an outward conformity of a list of religious do's and don'ts, and it's often disguised in Christian language, what I call Christianese. Christian words, Christian, uh, Christian uh, phrases that are around the church. Now, there's some observations we can look at. When it comes to legalism, there's some observations that we can make, some observations on what it looks like, what legalism looks like, and what uh, people that are legalistic look like. We, if you're legalistic, you tend to think of others are legalistic, but not yourself, not you. You have a tendency to look at things like, you know what, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just following Jesus, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just more, a little bit more righteous. You might not say that, but you might think that. And, then, and, and you think, I'm not legalistic, but they are. In fact, we, happen to, we tend to be legalistic by nature. We tend to judge others by our own standards. We have standards that we have, uh, through our experiences, through our jobs that we've learned, through education, through life experience, and we have these standards of what we think is right and wrong and, and how we should behave. I was talking to a, a church member a few, uh, actually a couple months ago, about the idea of hats in church, and, and there was a couple complaints about hats in church. And, then, um, and I said, well, look, you know what, we, we discussed it and, and everything's fine, but he grew up in an area, in a way that hats is completely sinful to have a hat in church. Now, I grew up in a way in California, and I, I didn't become saved until my early 20s or, or late teens, and I grew up in a very liberal household, and all the churches I went through for years were very contemporary churches where I had bikers, I had uh, guys that are all into the hip-hop stuff. I mean, I had everything, a very diverse culture in my church, the churches I was part of, and we, didn't wear, we wore hats all the time. I had cowboys. I got saved in the cowboy church. I got baptized in front of 16 horses. Okay, so there's things that are very different. And so what some of the legalists will sit there and say, oh, you can't have this. But you know what? There's different things. We have a tendency to do things based on our standard, not what necessarily what Scripture says. The essence, in essence, we think our standard Sin smells better than others. As I've said before, we have little tolerance for people who sin differently than we do. See, we have a tendency to think that others are legalistic, but not us. Legalism is highly contagious. It'll spread through a church like wildfire. It'll spread really fast. You start getting this, well, well you got to act like this, and you got to act like this, you got to behave like this, you got to be, then next thing you know, people are just repeating it. And next thing you know, the whole church has become this legalistic environment to where a new person comes in, and he's wearing a t-shirt because he's just got saved last week, and he don't care about, uh, he's just realized what grace is all about, and he comes in in a Ozzy Osbourne t-shirt or a Led Zeppelin t-shirt, and, and somebody says, oh, I can't believe he wore that. And next thing you know, people are criticizing others. And it becomes around the whole church. And it'll grow like wildfire. Reality is, is legalism could spread like a bad virus throughout the entire congregation. Now that's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, he taught one of the harshest criticisms about legalism is in there. And it's, uh, Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus gets hard on it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, look, you know what? It's just a bunch of rules that you're making up and you're criticizing others. You worship me in lip service, but the reality is that you're judging everyone. Legalism is highly contagious. It's also legalism can take vibrant faith and make it dull and lifeless. It could take this, uh, somebody who's enthusiastic for the Lord, who wants to serve the Lord, who loves the Lord, and next thing you know, they start going down the road of legalism, and they're more concerned about rules and regulations than they are about the grace of the gospel. And it could take a vibrant love for Jesus and just make it dull and unsatisfying. Legalism produces large quantities of self-righteousness, judgment, and condemnation. It majors in guilt and misguided sacrifices, urging its followers to evaluate their relationship with God on the basis of standards, scores, and expectations, and expects others to do the same. It's a superficial spirituality. We do it because we think we're better, and it produces a self-righteousness, and it produces a, an idea that I am more spiritual and I am better, and I cannot believe that guy or that girl is acting the way they do. Legalism makes us narrow and divisive. Legalists insist that everyone, everyone live up to the standard that they adopt. Now, let me focus on this for a second. We all have what they call presuppositions. We all have a worldview, the things that we, we see based on our experiences in life. Like I mentioned a minute ago, we all have things like that. And what happens is, is when we start becoming legalistic, we start measuring everybody up based on my standard, not yours, or not his. And so now, everything that I disagree with becomes the standard. That becomes the rule. And then we start arguing about it, and we fight, and I think we need to have red carpet, not green carpet. And then next thing you know, there's a split in the church. Where's grace when it comes to a split in the church? There isn't any. It's just legalism at its finest moment. That's what happens when people just, it becomes very narrow-minded in how God is and how we should be doing ministry. When we think this way, we miss the delight of diversity in the church. We miss the delight of diversity in the church. Everybody here is different. Everybody here. We all have different lives, different ways of growing up, different experiences. You can all grow up here in Covington, but guess what? You all have different relationships with different people and you have different experiences. And you need to embrace the diversity because God does. Legalism makes it impossible for people to see Jesus. There's nothing that pushes a seeker away faster than a list of rules and regulations that you must follow. If you want to reach the lost, you don't give them a list of a rule book or give them our constitution and bylaws and say, here, this, if you want to be a member of the church, you've got to follow this. That pushes them away so fast. We inadvertently portray Jesus as a drill sergeant instead of a savior. Do this and do that. Most of us fall into legalism without even trying to do so. We fall into it without even trying. I know in my personal life, I remember a time I just finished Bible college. It was in 2005, and I thought I was pretty smart because I had a degree. And I thought, man, I'm, why won't anybody hire me as a pastor, a youth pastor? And I couldn't believe it. Me? 
I'm educated. I'm smart. I thought, and it produced self-righteousness. I was filled with legalism. I thought I was better than other people. Every time I go to church and hear a preacher, I'd be criticizing their message, saying, no, that's not where Scripture is. He's misinterpreting Scripture. And I'd be criticizing them. We fall into this without even trying sometimes. We do. And there's a frustration about legalism. Legalism is very frustrating because you're never satisfied. Legalism is an attitude that I can improve my standing before God based on my activities. And that produces frustration. In the early days of our American education, we had that, say, the three R's of education. Remember what those are? Writing, reading, and arithmetic. Apparently, grammar wasn't quite in there yet. But we also have it for, there's the three R's of legalism. And the three R's of legalism is rules, rituals, and rewards. Rules, rituals, and rewards. If you want to recognize legalism, look for those three. A legalist is someone who has a list of rules that is longer than God's. A list of rules that is longer than God's. You know, there's a story about uh, this guy named Dr. Wilbur, Wilbur Smith, and he tells this story firsthand. He says, during, this ap- during the afternoon, I asked Dr. Klausner, professor at Hebrew University in, in Jerusalem, if he would sign his autograph book to which he replied, no, I'm sorry, but it's the Sabbath. I did not know until I made the inquiry that night that the Talmud asserts that two, writing two words in succession is considered work. And if the man even signs his name on the Sabbath, he has broken that law. Those of us gathered in his study to discuss one subject after another that evening. Dr. Klausner would climb up a little stepladder and bring down heavy books from his shelves, open it, point to some relevant passage, and then return the book, and soon take down another one. So he kept doing this through this discussion. The Talmud said nothing about bringing down books from shelves as work, but to write two words would be considered labor. But to develop a perspiration by reaching up for volumes and vigorously discussing them is not work. This is a perfect illustration of what our Lord meant when he talked about the he talked about his contemporaries holding the tradition of the elders. What he's referencing there when Jesus talks about that, he's talking about the list of rules that the Jewish leaders were doing, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And when they would have these long lists of rules and you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that, that's what he's referencing. We make these rules up as we go and we hold to them as if they're true. You may not be a legal, or you may be a legalist if you start out your Christian life by believing you're saved by grace, but somewhere along the line, you start thinking that you can earn brownie points by God by following rules and regulations. If you think you can earn a, a status place in, in God's kingdom because you come to church every Sunday, that's, you're missing the whole point of grace. Legalism only leads to frustration and misery. And you know why? Because legalism gives us a sense, a sense of accomplishment. We go to church, check that off. We go, to, uh, we go tithe, we check that off. We serve in some ministry capacity, we check that off. And we, we have this to-do list. And it makes us, when we're done, we, we feel good. We feel like I just accomplished. I had a great week. I served in three meetings. I went to church and I, and I worshiped God. I even raised my hand once, about halfway. And we check it off and we think, then we're, we, we've accomplish something. 
And if you're told that we have to do this or take communion or be baptized or confess your sin or read your Bible every day, you can check it off the list. I'm done. For example, some people think that simply attending church will improve their standing. And there's people that I've met over the years that will brag about being in church. I haven't missed a day in four years, five years, ten years. And you know what? Those, those guys are mean as a snake. And I think, how can you say you've been, you've been at church at, for five years, ten years, whatever the length of time, and you haven't been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is sad. You cannot brag about that. They keep on believing that attending church, by attending church, God will bless them. Or worse, they think if they don't attend church, God will punish them. And again, they go back and think that God is like a drill sergeant. As long as I do what he tells me to do, I'm good to go. Out of a sense of religious obligation, they make their way to church every Sunday, and they'll park the car really close, and as soon as I'm at my closing prayer, boom, they're out the door. And you never, don't see them again until the next Sunday. You might, they might not even sing a, a word of the song, and they might not even open their Bibles, but they're there. They've, they fulfilled their weekly obligation, and when it's over, pew, you don't see them. They've never had a sense of having entered in the presence of the Almighty Creator. They haven't sensed a relationship with Jesus Christ. but they feel good about being at church because they checked off and they had that accomplishment. That's legalism at its basic form. In our text this morning, Paul argues that if we're going to be truly free from religion and we're truly free in Christ, if we're free in this idea of of these rules and regulations that's trying to get us to heaven in some way, we need to start pulling the weeds of legalism. We need to get that out of the church. We've got to get that out of our lives. You open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We'll start at verse 16. Uh, follow along. It will be up on the screen. Starting at verse 16, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqual- disqualify you, insisting on acetation, I- I'm sorry, asceticism, and worship of God, angels going on in detail about visions puff, puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the body, the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in this world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human concepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in which promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to, severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The best way to pull the weeds of legalism is to remember our legal position before God. When we, when we, before we accepted Christ, we are already condemned to eternity without him. That was already done. We're already there. And the moment that we accept Christ, that payment is paid in full, completely. 
100% past, present, and future. And if you think your future sins are not taken care of by sins or by Jesus on the cross, then your sins, all your sins are not taken care of because you know what? Jesus died 2,000 years ago, so it has to be in the future because we sinned in the future. Does that make sense? So if we die, if Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins, past, present, future. We are complete, alive, forgiven, and we have victory in Jesus. There's a song, Victory in Jesus, a great hymn. Victory in Jesus. We have this because of what he did on the cross. So the first thing we have to remember is what he did. And then we also need to resist the rules of legal, or the lures of legalism. The trouble in doing things to impress God is it forces you to keep coming up with more and more things. See, as we go along, we say we can't have hats in church. And next thing you know, well, you can't have a, a T-shirt either. And next thing you know, well, you can't have jeans in church. Next thing you know, you've got to wear shiny shoes. And it becomes, it just, you just keep adding and adding and adding. And that's what happens in this idea of legalism. And we just keep going because no matter what we do, we're not going to impress God in this. For instance, if you want to be, if you want God to bless you, then you should do more. Do more than the average person so you can earn his favor. Throughout history, people become monks and, and religious leaders for that very thing. They think that they can do more and more religious things to gain favor from God. They mutilate their, uh, their flesh. They would, do, uh, they would fast and and for weeks at a time. They would do all these things in order to, to try to improve their standing. And this is what Paul refers to in verse 23. And he writes about this harsh treatment of the body. They would mutilate their body in order to, be, and to, be, uh, to, kill, to try to kill the flesh because that's what they're teaching. That the Colossian people were being taught that, that the flesh was evil, so they would mutilate their flesh in order to be in a better standing to God. And that's what started. And there's... These kinds of acts appear valuable, but the Bible says they're worthless. And that's what was going on around the Colossae church, but the New Testament also, Paul talks about it in other areas too. The book of Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, also ridicule legalism and this type of thinking. And Paul addresses it a lot in the New Testament. So that's how common it was during that time. We must be... We must be taught over and over and over and over again about everything is about grace. Everything about Jesus is about grace. We are saved by grace. We grow by grace. We live by grace. Everything has to do with grace. Now, I love, there's uh, lots of translations out there. I love what the Living Bible uh, says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1, through, 1 2, and 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. What magician has hypnotized you and cast an evil spell upon you? For you used to see the meaning, the meaning of Jesus's, Jesus Christ's death as clearly as though I had taught, or as I had waved a placard before you with a picture on it of Christ dying on the cross. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by trying to keep Jewish laws? Of course not. For the Holy Spirit came upon you, upon you only after you heard about Christ and trusted him to save you. Then, have you gone completely crazy? I love that part. Have you gone completely crazy? For if or trying to obey the Jewish laws never gave you spiritual life in the first place, why do you think that trying to obey them now will make you a stronger Christian? 
Now, that's a total paraphrase of the original, but it's, it's so great. You know, are you nuts? You just got saved by grace, by Jesus Christ, and now you're going to turn around and you think a whole bunch of rules are going to make you in a better standing between you and Jesus. That makes no sense. And he goes right to it and says, that's nuts. That's crazy. How can you think that? You, you, the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit, you didn't receive it by trying to obey the Jewish laws, but now you're trying to obey the Jewish laws so you can become better. It's completely contradictory to what Jesus said. Paul gives us warnings so that we can avoid this craziness and this foolishness of this, of this, this legalism, trying to earn our status. We must be cautious or we'll lean toward legalism on a daily basis. You've got to protect yourself. When you start thinking, you know what, I have to be like this or be like that, or if I'm a bad person, if you start walking around with guilt that you didn't read your Bible long enough today, that's legalism. Should you read your Bible? Yes. But not because of obligation or pressure. You do it because you love God and you want to learn more about him. We need to refuse to to judge by externals. And, And Paul's writing here in this, in this verse, he says, therefore, he uses this word therefore, and, and anytime you see therefore, you got to wonder what is therefore, okay? So Paul's de- uh, drawing a conclusion based on what he has just written previously and what we talked about last week. Since Jesus has done what was necessary for salvation, you don't let other people value, evaluate your spiritual life by external standards, don't let other people judge your spiritual life by external standards. Food restrictions, special diets, observance to ceremonies, holy days wrote out of special practices in the Old Testament. Religious festivals were annual. New moon celebrations were monthly and Sabbath was weekly. And since Christ has now come, special diets and those, uh, those days of celebration, those Old Testament celebrations are no longer necessary because every Old Testament feast points to Jesus. So when you look through the Old Testament, you, and if you ever wonder why we don't practice certain Old Testament things here, that is why, because all of that was about pointing to Jesus. You know, the Passover, the blood on the, on the doorways for the Passover, some of you know the story, that's pointing to the Lamb and Jesus. All of those Old Testament things were pointing to Jesus in the future. They were just shadows of the reality that's fulfilled in Christ. And that's precisely how Hebrews 10, verse 1 puts it. It says, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be the same, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offering every year, make perfect those who draw near. It's relatively easy to judge based on externals. It's relatively easy to do that. It's so easy to judge people uh, because they, haven't, they don't go to church every single Sunday. It's so easy to do that. We don't know what is in their heart. Maybe they have to work. Maybe they're so filled with, with work that, and they just don't have a choice right now. We don't know that. Maybe their passion is every time they, uh, they're, they're working on Sunday, they're listening to messages and sermons, maybe on our, our iTunes or, or something, and their heart is here, but they just can't make it. Should we judge them because of it? It's so easy to judge people from the external standards. If there's something that we're not supposed to eat, you avoid it, and then everything's okay. If there's something you're supposed to attend, you do it. 
and you'll be okay. That's external standards. If you kneel when you pray, you must be close to God. You must be alert to make sure we're not evaluating what we're doing or what others are doing per external standards. We need to reject false authority. Sometimes we think, well, we're being judged by these things, and when people are making criticisms, we think that they're an authority in this manner. And we need to reject that. The word in verses 18 through 19, the word disqualified means to declare unworthy of a prize. That's the idea of an umpire calling you out because you've not obeyed the rules. Paul describes these people in four different ways. He talks about this, these people in four different ways, and, and one of them is that they have a false humility. They, they come to the altar and they make a big show because they, they want to be seen. They worship angels. They claim to have visions, and they claim to have the, the latest revelation of God. And they're puffed up with idle notions. Their inner secrets give them big heads and, and egos, and they think instead of burning hearts for Jesus. That because of their subjective bias and expressions, they had actually become disconnected from the head in that verse. It talks about the head, and the head is Jesus. Jesus is in charge of the world. He's in charge of creation. He's in charge of the church. He's in charge of us. He's in charge of everything. And what these people were doing is they were doing all these things, and they were getting egos, and they think that they had a special relationship with God, and they started getting puffed up and arrogant, and then they, and they ended up getting disconnected from God, from Jesus, from what he was doing they were severed from any hope of spiritual vitality because they were not getting orders from christ they were making their own orders even though there is a fascination with religious mysticism our focus needs to always be on jesus we have that even today if you look around you study any kind of religious um, groups around our country today you'll see this mysticism all over the place and people are always trying to better themselves before God, and they miss the whole idea of grace. We need to re reject religious rules. Let's refuse to judge by externals and reject false authorities. And then if you really want to be free from religion, you must also reject religious rules. In verses 20 and 23, through 23, he says, since you've died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to these rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. If you, if you died with Christ, why do you have to try to earn your way to heaven? These are all destined to perish because they're just human commands and teachings. The only rule that stands is God's rule and whatever he says. Self-regulation indeed has an appearance of wisdom and even self-imposed worship and, and even their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack the value of restraint. The false teachers focus on personal denial as a way to curb their appetites. Now, according to church history, we have people all around church history that have done that. We had Anthony, who um, he was the founder of, of Christian monotheism, or, uh, Monotasticism, never changing. He never changed his vest, and he never washed his feet. And he did that in order to be uh, like a self-denial. But then he was surpassed by a guy named Simon Stylites, who spent 37 years of his life up on top of a pillar. 
He mistakenly thought that if he withdrew from the world, then he would truly be spiritual. We see similar things in Mexico. When people would go up to the, go up the steps with bloody knuckles and go up to worship uh, Guadalupe, the Virgin of Guadalupe. And they would do these things um, in, in the middle, uh, medieval times. The Catholic Church would teach people penance and they would have to walk up these stairs on their hands and knees and pray a certain prayer every step of the way. And these steps would be long. They said, you have to earn this. You have to do this to get your brother or your father out of hell or purgatory. You have to do this to be better, to be closer to God. Paul tells us that we don't belong to the world anymore. We don't get to heaven by following a bunch of do's and don'ts. We don't get to heaven by doing that. We don't live the Christian life that way either. We cannot earn God's favor. We can only receive it. We cannot earn God's favor. We can only receive it. Now, Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. I have found that in my own spiritual life, the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. And verse 23 states very clearly that regulations, through, though they may look and sound good, lack any value in restraint and indulgences. Rules don't abolish the appetite because they feed the flesh. Rules don't do anything but restrain us or to, to put us down away from God. We must teach grace before commitment. We must teach grace before commitment. Because once grace is understood and embraced, then commitment will follow. I want you to comprehend that. We must teach grace before commitment because once we understand grace, then commitment will follow. It's not commitment first. Titus 1, or chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and world pa- worldly passions and to live self self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So I have a question for you. What is your Christian, what's your Christianity like? What is your relationship with God like? What is your, your regular relationship look like? Is it filled with on yourself and what you do, or is it filled with Christ? Are you a list keeper or a grace giver? <coughs> Excuse me. Is your faith anchored to personal experiences or the word of God. There's a story about Louis XI of France, and he had this, this uh, priest that came to him and said, you know, when you're going to punish guys or we punish people, we need to build a cage that neither lets them stand or lets them lay down. So the king said, you know, that's great. That's a great idea. Let's build it. So he builds these cages for that purpose. A, a few months later, that, that priest upset the king and the king put him in those cage put them in that cage for years so my question is is are you building your own cage and putting yourself in bondage have you constructed a cage for those who don't think that they're the same with you are you building a cage that that you think that they will fit in <coughs> when jesus died on the cross Jesus said, it is finished. There's no, we don't need to have rules and regulations. We need grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your grace and the love that you give us and that we're free from this.
rules and regulations just tie us up and, and keep us just wanting to work more and, and, and keep pushing us toward this idea that we can earn our place in heaven, that we can be rewarded in some greater way. But you know what, Lord? The reward is just knowing you. And Father God, we need to understand that it is all about grace, the, your grace and your love. Father God, help us all break these bonds of, of legalism in our lives. And we all do it. We all have areas in our life where we think we need to, to earn our right, to earn our way somehow. And that's a sin, Lord. Just forgive us of that and help us grow because we love you, not out of obligation. Father God, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.